Hello, thanks for joining us. Tonight, the international spy scandal with an Australian connection, and later we'll talk to South Africa's Foreign Minister, Pick Border, a man on a mission to improve relations between Canberra and Pretoria. It's a spy scandal that's already rocked the White House, an intrigue that could threaten the presidency of George Bush. This story centres on incredible allegations of spying on a scale never before imagined. It involves America's Central Intelligence Agency selling computer programs to foreign nations. These programs allegedly allowed the CIA to spy on the intelligence agencies that bought it. And one of the purchases was Australia. We've been able to track down two key witnesses to those dealings, witnesses who are now in fear of their lives. Michael Holmes reports. It may be the most bizarre spy story ever. A story of corruption and betrayal at the highest levels of the American government. A story of hostages used as pawns. Of the CIA spying on its friends. Of murders made to look like suicides. I think it's about time to get the whole story out. His name is Ari ben Menashe. He's a former Israeli intelligence agent. Once it's out, there's no reason to hurt me physically anymore. And today, he is hiding in Australia, in fear, he says, of his life. So many people in the last 10 years who were working for the various governments on these issues, due to cover-ups, died mysteriously. He claims the United States tried to spy on ASIO, the Australian Security Intelligence Organization, by selling it a computer program that contained a hidden keyhole, a lock for which the CIA had a master key. The computer software is called Promise. It's designed to track millions of pieces of information on tens of thousands of people. And it's alleged to have been installed in dozens of government departments and security agencies around the world. It's also alleged that American intelligence made some small modifications to the program, modifications that enabled it to key in a special access code and gain entry to all the information on the computer would be equivalent to going into ASIO or ASIO and reading the handwritten files of all the agents except the computer has them neatly organized and typed and instantly indexed so it's much more convenient. Bill Hamilton owns Inslaw, the company that developed Promise and offered it to the American government. They would not have bothered to sell it to all these countries without first preparing it in such a way that it would be an easier avenue of penetration into the files of these foreign governments. The whole story might never have emerged but for the fact that the American government didn't own Promise. It pirated the software from Bill Hamilton's company. We were dumbfounded. Couldn't conceive of it. Hamilton's contract with the US Department of Justice to supply the Promise software was cancelled in 1982 without any real explanation. Only some time later did Hamilton hear that his software was turning up all over the world. I don't know how much Australia paid. I've been told that Israel paid 5.5 million. 
Ari ben Menashe confirms that Promise was sold to Israel, but claims the Israelis, unlike the Australians, were in on the secret. The whole idea was that we would study it, the Americans then would sell it to our neighbors, and then we could, by using telephone lines, get into their, uh, our neighbors' computers. But then our American friends just took it a step further. They sold it to their allies as well, including Australia. The list of countries which allegedly bought the Promise software reads like a who's who of America's friends, as well as its most bitter enemies. Is spying on your friends uh, considered you know, a fair thing to do in the intelligence world? Oh, it is. It's always done. Um, using a Trojan horse to go inside the agency, that gets a little aggressive, you know. It all sounds a bit too bizarre to be true, but we've now been able to track down a key witness to a prison near Seattle in Washington State. So you are 100% sure that Promise or a derivative of Promise was bought by Australia to be used in our intelligence and law enforcement Absolutely, agencies? Absolutely, uh, because I, I uh, uh, spent uh, several thousand man hours of uh, programming time with a programming team, uh, you know, developing that subset. This unlikely-looking character is a computer genius. His name is Michael Riconosciuto, and he says he was in charge of modifying the Promise program so that it could be accessed by American intelligence. So whoever was holding that master key could do what? Basically uh, break into it and spy. ASIO says it doesn't have and has never had the Promise software. Of course, it won't go into any detail about what sort of computer programs it does have, which is very handy because, according to Michael Riconosciuto, the Promise software was often altered and given different names before it was sold. Indeed, Riconosciuto claims he specifically modified the program for Australia at the request of ASIO. I basically had to change the communications protocol, which is how that software package interacts with other software packages already resident in the computer system. In a federal court hearing, Judge George Basin ruled the Justice Department had used illegal and underhanded methods to bankrupt Bill Hamilton's Inslaw company. He ordered the government to pay Inslaw $8 million. Trickery, fraud and deceit. You use those words when describing how the Justice Department stole the software. Do you stand by those words? Yes. I, there's no question in my mind about it. Uh, the evidence was overwhelming. So why was the Justice Department so desperate to get the software from Bill Hamilton? To answer that, you have to go back to 1980. Iran had seized American hostages. All evidence proves that these people are spies. If President Carter could secure their release, he'd have a big advantage in the upcoming U.S. elections. My thoughts and my prayers for our hostages in Iran are as though they were my own sons and daughters. It's now alleged that the Reagan campaign made a deal with the Iranians, a deal to keep the hostages until after the election, thus denying Carter the credit for their freedom. 
The man alleged to have helped organise this deal is a Reagan political crony called Earl Bryan. And his payoff, three years later, on the promised software. About an hour and a half outside Washington, D.C., you'll find this place, Earl Bryan's multi-million dollar country estate. If you believe Michael Reconosciuto, it's the house Promise bought. Now, we'd like to bring you Earl Bryan personally denying that claim, but he's not being interviewed by anybody. All we got was this letter from his lawyers, threatening action if we so much as associate Earl Bryan's name with this story. He had the contacts to help make sure that certain elements in Iran would not make a deal with President Carter in 1980 so that President Carter could not recover in the polls and that Reagan would win the election. I, Ronald Reagan, do solemnly swear that Just five minutes after Ronald Reagan took the oath of office, Iran announced that the hostages would be released. Some 30 minutes ago, the planes bearing our prisoners left Iranian airspace and are now free. And the story doesn't end there. In a moment, the murders that have been linked to the spy scandal. There are many shady characters in this story. Spies, former spies, people with something to hide. But there are players with impeccable credentials too. In part two of this investigation, we meet a man whose background more than qualifies him to know a scandal when he smells one. What is being said about this conspiracy points to criminal conduct much worse than anything in Watergate. And Elliot Richardson should know. 17 years ago, he resigned as U.S. Attorney General on a matter of principle after clashing with Richard Nixon during the Watergate scandal. Today, Richardson is legal counsel for Inslaw, and once again, he has the White House in his sights. It might be reluctant to, to have it emerge that the, the U.S. government had, through uh, clandestine means, planted uh, software on foreign intelligence agencies so that the U.S. would be better able, as the phrase goes, to read their mail. And the number of uh, murders that have occurred uh, to uh, prevent uh, leaks uh, are incredible. There's nearly 50 murders that can be directly ascribed uh, to this pattern of activity. The Promise Affair and the allegation that Ronald Reagan and George Bush made a deal for the hostages to be kept until after the 1980 election were being investigated by journalist and author Danny Casolaro. He said he had it. He had some already and he was going to West Virginia to meet the source who had given him that evidence this source was now, he said, going to supply additional conclusive proof. But Danny Casolaro never got to reveal either his source 
or the hard evidence, he said, was going to break the scandal wide open. On August the 10th, his body was found in this hotel room in West Virginia. His wrists had been slashed an incredible 12 times. Danny Casolaro's body was found naked in a pool of bloody water in the bathtub. All his papers were gone. Within hours, local police had declared the death a suicide. You have a, a case of forensic artistry, you know, shall we say, where you have professionally trained people that set up a crime scene and they make it phenomenally difficult for investigators to, uh, to backtrack, make a murder look like a suicide. His body was embalmed by Monday morning by the time we found out. That is against the law in West Virginia. His body was embalmed without family consent. That certainly makes an autopsy a little more difficult. Tony Casolaro says his brother Danny, pictured here at a nephew's birthday, just wasn't the suicidal type. He was describing for me a few weeks before he died what he was doing and some of the people involved. And he said uh, a lot of accidents had happened to people who were working on the things that he had been working on. He said, you know, if an accident happens to me, don't believe it. But bad things seem to happen to people who make waves in the Inslaw affair. Earlier this year, Michael Riconosciuto contacted Bill Hamilton and signed a sworn affidavit for Hamilton's lawsuit against the Justice Department. Do you believe Michael Riconosciuto did alter the software as he claimed he did? Yes, I, I do. Almost immediately, Reconosciuto was contacted by a Justice Department official and given a very clear message. Back off or else. Less than two weeks after that threat, Michael Reconosciuto was arrested on drug charges. My main concern right now is staying alive and protecting my family. Right. And remember Judge Basin, who found in favour of Inslaw against the Justice Department. Well, a few months later, Judge Basin's reappointment to the bench, thought to be a formality, was blocked by the Justice Department. Yeah. His career has been destroyed. Would you still be a judge if you hadn't handed down the decision you did? I think I would be. I rendered the, quote, wrong decision in uh, the case of Inslaw versus uh, Department of Justice. Your replacement in the bankruptcy court was a lawyer who argued for the Justice Department in this case. Yes. It, does that smell? Is that worthy it's, of... It's certainly an odd coincidence, isn't it? Every time you figuratively pick up a rock, in this case, you find maggots under it. Michael Holmes reporting on the saga that is now the subject of a U.S. congressional inquiry. Next up, South Africa's Attorney General Elliot Richardson, who now represents Inslaw, says there's only one way to find the truth. If there was not enough reason before to justify a full-scale, all-out, hard-hitting, impartial federal investigation, the case for doing that now is overwhelming. Former Attorney General Ed Meese disagrees. The question is whether there's any legal basis for it, and I think uh, the people who have looked into it, including uh, Attorney General Thornburg, uh, have indicated there is no basis for it. And I would certainly have more confidence in Mr. Thornburg's judgment uh, as an impartial uh, person on the subject than I would uh, Mr. Richardson, who's obviously a partisan and represents one of the parties.
A House subcommittee led by Congressman Jack Brooks has been investigating the Inslaw case for two years. Brooks has accused the Justice Department of stonewalling the committee's investigation by refusing for two years to release more than 400 documents relating to Inslaw. Faced with a subpoena, Attorney General Dick Thornburg finally produced some documents this summer, but told committee investigators some were either lost or stolen. Even President Bush is being questioned about Inslaw. They're they fairly soon, I'd say. The Inslaw case, Mr. President. The Inslaw case. Are you gonna I know his views on that. He doesn't have to explain. I know. What was the last? The Justice Department says it has been able to reconstruct 90% of the missing documents. But a source close to the Brooks Committee says there's no way to tell how many documents are missing or how important they are to solving the mysterious Inslaw case. Casey Wyand, CNN Business News.